0: I'm ready. I hit a home run in the big leagues. I'm ready to be here, stay, and do damage. That, it couldn't be further from the truth. I didn't realize all the rules. Like, you're on the 40 man, but you have options. so You can get sent up and down. You know, I was a yo-yo for a while there.
1: Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we're talking to Brandon Geyer, former Rays and Indians outfielder out of the University of Virginia and a recent retiree. Brandon has moved on to his training business fully equipped athlete, but today he's talking about his seven-year big league career and everything that got him there. He talked about the importance of being a two-sport athlete in high school. He was a standout football player. It was only late into his high school career that he switched to primarily being a baseball player. He talked about the hurdles adjusting to college and pro ball, especially his first stint in double-A, and of course talked about his time in the big leagues. He's going to talk about playing in a World Series and what goes into leading MLB and hit by pitches. Don't want to spoil the interview, but finding out that Brandon didn't wear any protective equipment at the plate was just shocking to me. I hope everyone enjoys Brandon's story, and go give him a follow on Twitter to check out what he's doing with Fully Equipped Athlete in Retirement. That link will be in the show notes. Quick housekeeping, a big thanks to everyone who's left a 5-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We are officially three-fourths of the way to a hundred five star ratings. The more, the merrier with that. So if you haven't yet, go tap that 5-star button in your podcast player, and make sure you're subscribed for episodes dropping every other Tuesday. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com, for all your prospect and amateur baseball coverage with daily MLB prospect reports and all of JJ Cooper's new reporting on the ongoing PBA negotiation between MLB and MILB. There's new great reporting on BaseballAmerica.com every day. Just make sure you're subscribed for it. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Bandujo, where I'll be updating followers on the upcoming episodes of this podcast series and daily updates on how good the Twins are playing. With that, let's talk to seven-year big league outfielder Brandon Guyer. On today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, I am joined by a Cubs fifth round pick in 2007 out of the University of Virginia, Brandon Geyer. Brandon, thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me, Kyle. Of course. Looking forward to this. Uh, first and foremost, you recently retired. Call it a career. Congrats on a career well played. But um, tell the listeners about your immediate post-career plans with Fully Equipped Athlete.
0: Yeah, so uh, it made the retirement uh, that much easier. Um so basically Fully Equipped Athlete is a, for now, it's an online platform, basically where I work one-on-one with athletes of all sports and all ages, and really just try to equip them with the tools necessary to help them exceed um, at a high level on and off the field. And not as much, you want to get bigger, faster, stronger, but I'm not talking about those tools. I'm talking about a strong mindset. Um proper ways to recover, to always be feeling good and refreshed, um, proper nutrition, r- right way to set goals. Uh, my favorite, um, proper breathing techniques to help slow the game and your mind down and your life down. Um, so various tools like that, there's 10 of them. And really that's what it is. It's one-on-one sessions. I also put everything down in like a training manual that I call the playbook, which is an 80 page, uh, ebook. And, like I, And I said right now for a reason, because, you know, in the future, it's going to be, you know, the plan is to have a physical location, um, but obviously that's tough right now. So I wanted to start, um, get the word out, really build a solid base and trust and just show them what I'm all about and, um, you know, learn the business side, because I've been playing my whole career. So I'm trying to learn the business, how to grow a company, how to um, do it the right way in an organic way. Um So. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, and uh, we'll see what happens with it.
1: And where can listeners who might be young athletes or be the parents of young athletes check out Fully Equipped Athlete?
0: Yeah, so I'm on all the social medias uh, at Fully Equipped Athlete uh, on just about everyone. And then, um, for sure, fullyequippedathlete.com. On there, you can see you can get the playbook. Um, You can schedule one-on-one sessions, which can be phone or uh, video, where we can also, like, send videos back and forth. Maybe it's your swing. Maybe it's uh different techniques of something else. Um, one of the tools that I can help critique. Um, and also I do a webinar just about every other week. Um, and you know, just to help, you know, teach, teach everyone the proper, the, the best ways to uh, make the most of your abilities and, and reach your full potential. Um, that's the main mission behind it. Um, so those are the places you can, you can find everything at, uh, about fully equipped athlete.
1: Well, let's get into your career. And you mentioned your social medias, and and that's kind of relevant for our starting point. Uh, You actually, you posted something yesterday, yesterday being the day we're recording, not when this episode comes out, it'll be a couple weeks uh, previous. But you posted about the importance of being a multi-sport athlete, especially when you're younger. What were, uh, you know, what was your high school athletics career like in terms of juggling football and baseball? Because when you did that Instagram post, you didn't use a picture of you playing baseball, you used a picture of you playing football.
0: Yeah, well, if you if you swiped over, there was a picture of me playing baseball in high
1: school. Well, the the, the front picture was the football yes, picture.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, and, and yeah, so pe-
0: most people know I play baseball, so I wanted to put the football first. But yeah, so freshman year. I played all I played uh, all three uh, seasons. I did football, then basketball, then baseball. And one of the main things I talk about being a multi-sport athlete is you don't want to burn out. And for me, even though I wasn't just playing one sport, by playing each season and not having much time off, I felt like I was going to burn out. So I was like, okay, which sports, which ones do I like the best? And I hadn't played football until freshman year of high school. And so I didn't. I did not know I I would love it so much. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at basketball, but not great. So decided to have the winter be my kind of recover from football in the fall. Then, you know, then once I'm ready, start getting ready for the baseball season in the spring. Um, So it was good. And and I I harp on the, you know, to play multiple sports first, because the burnout, if you're just playing one sport all the time, you know it's tough. There, great chance you're going to get burnout. Um, two, overuse injury. If you're doing one same, one sport, same movement, whether it's pitching, swinging, all year round, great chance for over over injury, over um, overtraining, and therefore getting injured. And then just developing your your motor skills, your muscle skills, um, your, your development of your athletic abilities every sport you play, you're you're developing something different. Um, So that's what I was really thankful for playing football. And it also helped with the mentality. Um, And and I know, I think we get into it later, but yeah, I was planning on getting to uh, or going to play football in college until after my junior year of high school, but that's how much I fell in love with football. And yeah, I can't um, recommend it enough or suggest it enough that, You know all the parents and coaches out there. I know there's a good amount that just want their kid to be so good at one sport, so they, you know, they really focus and and tell them, yeah, just play baseball or just play what. No, there's so many high level athletes like Kyler Murray, just to name a few, Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson. Um, That's just a few of the super high level, but there's so many good other players out there that played multiple sports, and I just think it it really helps out a lot. So yeah, that's kind of how my high school career went with, with sports.
1: So then how did you wind up playing just baseball at UVA? Kind of what was your recruitment like and when did baseball finally end up surpassing football for you and being the thing that you decided to take to the next level?
0: Yeah. So I really, I strongly um, was leaning towards playing football in college, you know, for a couple of reasons. Um, my first 3 years of high school baseball were very average. Um, you know, I hit I think 280 or something like that as a junior in high school and you know, that's obviously not going to get you a D1 scholarship or get you to the next level. Um, so yeah, my mind was focused on playing football. You know, I was a running back linebacker and in most of the places I was probably going to be in college like a fullback or a, or a linebacker, one of the two, not a tailback like I was. And um I was getting recruited, like, smaller schools, Richmond. I went to a football camp at Virginia and at Maryland. Um, so there there was definitely interest. Um, and then my junior summer, I played in the Commonwealth Games. It's kind of like an all-star showcase, in a way, um, here in Virginia. This was after the, the high school baseball season. And literally a week before it, I just went to – this place called Woody's in in Herndon, Virginia. And it's basically a batting cage golf, golf driving range. And so I went into the batting cage there and literally, I don't know what it was. Something just clicked. I like, at that time it was, I moved my elbow up and for whatever reason that just unleashed a new swing for me as my career went on my elbow moved down and stuff. But at that point, moving my elbow up, something just clicked. And then I was a totally different player from there on out. Um, I went to the Commonwealth Games. I, you know, a lot of college coaches there. And I just, you know, had a great BP, then in the games, just carried it over. And from there, I was just getting offers and, you know, scholarships. Uh, Coach O'Connor at the University of Virginia came uh, to my house and made a visit. And it's just, It's crazy how something like so simple, moving my elbow up, being at a batting cage, literally just clicked for me. And I went off and that changed the trajectory of my career, of my life. Um, So that's kind of how it went from, okay, I'm set on football. Now I'm going the baseball route. I committed to Virginia probably a couple months after that. And uh, the rest is history. I went to Virginia and played there.
1: So there was no no thought on your part to try to do both that. Wasn't something you had discussed with, the. I, I can't remember the head UVA football coach was at that time, but it was, it was just baseball from the moment you got on campus. It was, it, I, I wanted, it went through my
0: head for a, a good amount of time to actually try and play both. But the more I talked about it with like my, my dad and, and family and stuff, I realized if I wanted to make the most of my, uh, My talent in baseball, I'll make the most of baseball. I needed to put, because I hadn't my whole life, I was always playing soccer, basketball, you know, football, all these sports, never for a set amount of time played one sport the whole year. And I know earlier I said, yeah, you don't want to burn out and just play one sport. But once you get to the college level, it's a little different. When I say that, I mean little league, you know, when you're younger all the way up through high school uh, to play multiple sports, college, yeah, there's a lot of great players that have played two sports in college, but man, I I don't know how they do it with the time commitment to, you know, academics and each sport at the college level. Um so once I you know, thought it over, talked it over, I realized to be the best me in baseball, which I thought was my future, um I just, you know, it was best to just play baseball.
1: What were your goals heading into your career at UVA? What kind of player did you think you could be and did you have when you got to campus, did you have pro aspirations? Were you thinking beyond UVA?
0: I was and And actually before I got to UVA, um, you know, I just got off a really, a a good, a solid senior season of high school. Um, and in my head, I was like, maybe maybe the draft could be something. Um, but I, I, I made it a point. I set my price tag pretty high. I forget the exact number. So, um, deep down inside, I did not feel like I was ready. Um, you know, I needed to mature more. Um, I needed to work on other things and I hadn't just played. I just don't think I was so, I think I was so raw that I just wasn't ready for that unless they were going to throw all this money at me to make it worth my while. Um, so once I didn't get drafted and I went to Virginia, I, um, for sure, you know, initially I was like, man, I'm coming in. I had a great you know, I was feeling super confident, more confident than ever. So I just assumed I'm going to go in. I was recruited as a third baseman. And although Ryan Zimmerman was there, you know, we had talked when I signed and everything like, yeah, we'll move him to shortstop and, and all that. So I had in my head like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to start right from the get-go and right from the jump and literally play third base. Zimmerman's going to go to shortstop. And it, it just didn't go that way. Um, You know, just the adjustment of getting to college, uh, playing at a whole new level, the game speeds up. It it was uh, it was a challenge. So I didn't start for a little bit of the first year. And then I once I got in there and played third base, um, my defense just was not great. Um, I was hitting pretty good, but um, it wasn't good enough to stay at third base so that's when they moved me to the outfield and I you know ever since then had played the outfield so yeah but I definitely thought going in that first year oh this is going to be great I'm so confident I'll play every day and three years from now 100% percent i gonna be a first round pick you know that's the kind of stuff that was going through my head and you know obviously until you get there and go through it you don't realize the the adjustment that it's going to be for you
1: this is a podcast that's about your career but I'd be I'd be kind of remiss not to mention that you got to campus and I, I believe what was Brian O'Connor's second year uh mm-hmm. at head coach at UVA and then obviously over the course of the next, you know, 15 years he is, UVA has become, you know, a top tier top echelon college baseball program has won a national title gone to the College World Series a couple times. When you got there right in the beginning of this did you have a sense of where Brian O'Connor was was taking that program
0: I did and it's funny we had a for some of the alumni last night we had a Zoom webinar with Coach Oak and about 20 other um, former baseball players he was kind of giving an update on the program and I think he said he's 50 50 right now I can't sorry I can't remember exact age but I believe when he recruited me he was like 33 around that age and which is crazy because that's almost like my age right now and I could not imagine just being at that level what he was doing recruiting but so did I to answer your question did I see it going where it was 100% Um, you know I was fortunate to be in the position where other you know pretty good schools were recruiting me and I was you know growing up you hear oh Clemson you know, Florida State, I was like, these schools in your head, like, oh, that'd be awesome. You always see them in the college world series. Um, but coach Oak came here, um, coach uh, Kevin McMullen, the assistant coach, the hitting coach there, uh, the third base coach. After talking to them and coach Carl Kuhn, he was a pitching coach and now he's the pitching coach at, or he's the head coach at Radford. Um, man, they sold me so much and it wasn't, they were just being salesmen. They, you could just feel it. They were passionate and it it just felt real. Um, And that made the decision to not go to those other schools much easier. Um, Also that I lived two hours away. There's this in-state school. Yeah, I was, I was really um, sold by them and, you know, hats off to them. They, it started then, they consistently got good recruiting classes when, when the athletes and players got there they just drove into us hard work team first. And um, it, it does not shock me at all that um, the program's turned into what it is. And the fact that he's kept that the program's kept all the coaches together that long, even though coach K has, has departed last year. Um, the fact that they were together that long says, says everything you need to need to know. It just doesn't happen, but it just shows how close they were, how well they worked together. And you know that's why the program is what it is today
1: yeah u v a has has been a force for the entirety of this past decade uh you know and going into your years, but you know you mentioned you kind of you struggled a little bit as a freshman, didn't play quite you know right away but how what is the progression? How did you turn in to go from a struggling freshman or a guy just trying to trying to figure out his way to an eventual hall of famer at the university
0: yeah, it was uh a series of adjustments, um, constant hard work. And I I think more than anything, like I said, in high school, you know, I was in a way very raw and immature, not immature, but I needed to mature more. Um, so getting to college, um, and finally, you know, I was playing a lot of different sports growing up. I finally got time to just focus on baseball. Um, so it just took that first year of first for me to get comfortable, learn the ways of college, get a routine, um and then, you know, getting all those that bats freshman year and doing okay, but not great. Um and having downtime, very down times that first year. Um you know, at one point I you know got got in trouble off the field and um didn't know what was gonna happen from that. Um and then couple that with that. initially I wasn't playing. So, um, you know, some growing pains, but but to to get good, to get very good at something, you need to go through through those. And, you know, obviously looking back, I'm, I was very grateful for those times, although going through them, it was tough. But um, I needed to go through that to help turn me into the player um, that I was able to become for that program for the next couple of years.
1: So, by the time you get to your junior year you have you have draft buzz, you have stock playing through your junior year, you guys are also a a competitive team, one of the first really competitive teams at u v a you end up hosting a regional that year, making you know you're one of the top sixteen teams in the nation what is what is playing those games like that junior year when you know that now the draft is on is knocking on the door? How do you go through your business? How do you stay? calm when preparing during a a college junior season?
0: Yeah, first off, that was the original goal was to go to Virginia and be a part of a team that was going to be one of the best in the country. And that's what the coaches told me they believed was going to happen. And and to see it come to fruition that junior year, man, it it was great to be a part of so many good players on that team. And I don't know for a fact, but I think at one point we got up to number two or number one in the nation. Um, so just to be on one of the best teams in the country, uh, it was it was such a cool thing. And obviously, we wanted to go further in the playoffs and whatnot. It didn't happen, but
1: I mean, you catch a pretty tough break getting defending champion Oregon State in your region as a <laughs> three seed. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I think they didn't. I don't think they had a great year that year, and they were one of the last teams in. And I think because they won the the year before, they're like, "Yeah, we're going to let them in still." And then they just got hot at the right time and beat us two times in a row in the finals. And then I don't think they lost the game the rest of the the playoffs and won the College World Series. But, yeah, we – you know, personally, I dislocated my shoulder that first game against them. We lost the, our shortstop, Greg McClott. We lost a couple other guys. So, kind of tough luck. But, yeah, Oregon played, played good. Um, I'm trying to think of what you – oh, so about – having the draft buzz. Um, yeah, I think because I was just young and dumb and immature, (laughs) I did not, I honestly did not think about it. It didn't go And same thing with high school, senior year. Like I had that draft buzz and everything, but it just didn't affect me. And when I was between those lines, like I honestly didn't think about it. Um, so that's the good thing about being young and dumb. Sometimes you just go out there and play and see ball, hit ball,
1: that's kind of been a theme of this series. A lot of guys have attributed them being able to perform with, with, with the draft looming is just to being dumb. Is that right? Yeah. You're, you're definitely not, you're not the first, uh, another ACC guy we had a couple weeks ago, Richie Schaefer said pretty much the exact same thing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. I actually played with Richie. I love that. Love that guy. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird, but uh, honestly, that's, that's what I thought it was. And, um, it was kind of an unfortunate break uh, where two days before the draft, I on a squeeze bunt, I slid into the catcher of Oregon State and dislocated my shoulder. So,
1: you know, after that happened,
0: although it was my non-throwing arm, you know, all the scouts, a ton of scouts were there because we had Sean Doolittle, you know, a lot of buzz, he was going to get drafted early in the first round. So at our regional, there were a ton of scouts. And, you know, that happened, and that really scared off just about everyone so when the draft came a couple days later i was honestly set to go back for my senior year and then the cubs called and well actually in the fourth round end of the fourth round the yankees told my agent yeah we're gonna pick him they ended up going with somebody else and i'm like man that was probably my last because i think they were like in my head the only other team that the red flags didn't scare them off too much and then the beginning of the next round the Cubs. Fortunately, they called and they drafted me and, um, so unexpected. Like I said, I was ready to go, go back and play for, uh, uva for a fourth year just because of that injury and i thought it kind of ruined everything so it went from you know it was just such a a roller coaster it really was um but yeah that's kind of how that all went about
1: so what were your expectations for yourself when you got drafted when you signed did you have any sort of personal eta for yourself and you you weren't healthy when you signed right but you still went out and played anyway
0: yeah to be honest i don't know there were no obviously i was in my head yeah i'm gonna get to the big leagues i'm you know, feeling good. Obviously, I had the shoulder injury, but I, I knew I didn't need surgery, so I just knew I was going to just have to uh, rehab it a couple months. But I did not know honestly what to expect. You hear, you know, players that would come back from playing minor league ball to UVA when I was still at UVA, kind of talk about it and just say how how different it is, different lifestyle, everything's changed, and you know, until I I uh, went there and really got a grasp of what was going on. I was like, Ooh, yeah, this is going to be, uh, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. Um, you know, I playing with players, the best players from all over the world now, not just in the country at, like you do in college. Um, you know, that rookie, that first year I got drafted in rookie ball, it's like 110 degrees out in Arizona. It's like you're practicing and you're playing at night and, you know, first coming back from that shoulder injury that I had in college, I just did not play great. And I was like, man, I, it, that was a huge struggle for me.
1: How long until your shoulder was actually 100%? Um, You know, it got,
0: it felt good about after two and a half, three months. Um, good where it wasn't painful, but not good in the sense that it felt super strong. Um, there was still like all the little muscles and, you know, I needed a full off season. Um, uh, like I had that year, uh, after when I first got drafted that next off season, I needed that just to build up the shoulder muscles and in a way, give it a break, um, as well. So it took a little bit, but you know, after a month of not playing great at rookie ball, they sent me to low a in Boise, Idaho. And, and just to rewind a little bit. I think it was also – for me, my swing, um, at least initially, I was pretty long, and I got away with it with the aluminum bat. But um, a good example, I went to Cape Cod after my sophomore year of uh, college, and I maybe hit 200. I don't even think I hit my weight, and I'm just a wood bat. I just – it was – that was a huge adjustment for me. Um, And then that first year in rookie ball, the wood bat plus my shoulder – um that was you know I I think I hit 260 something in, in low A but no pop um just didn't feel like myself didn't feel like the player I was in college um just 4 or 5 months ago um so that was a struggle um but eventually working on my mechanics on my mindset and getting my shoulder better you know I got used to that wood bat and um yeah things kind of took off
1: Yeah, I mean, you you had to in in 2008, you had to Peoria and you have, you know, a a good season. I wouldn't say I don't think you would say a great season. Um, Mm -hmm. What's kind of the the mental adjustment after coming from a college where you're playing for a top team and you're a mainstay on that team? You're an eventual you're a Hall of Famer. What is it like when you to, you suddenly head to the minor leagues and you're a fifth-round a fifth pick? They've made a, a financial investment in you, but there's a big difference between that and like being a first-round pick. How do you adjust your sense of worth in that kind of system when you're surrounded by high-bonus guys and you're not hitting the same way you hit at UVA?
0: Yeah, it, um, it, it was tough, man. It was uh, Especially that next year before I went to Peoria – Actually, in spring training, I hurt my elbow. So it went from I almost thought I was going to need Tommy John that year to I think I missed the first couple of weeks to a month of the season and then met the team in Peoria. Um, but, yeah, the adjustment of, you know, you're living in a new apartment in a new city you've never been to, all these road trips, playing with um, studs from all over the world. Um, getting to know people, getting in a new routine—it um, was—it was a struggle, man. But yeah, I would say I had a pretty good um, year in Peoria. Um, I guess in like in the Cubs' eyes, they saw a lot because it was good enough to the next year skip me to Double A, which in hindsight I wish never happened. But I guess it was—you know—at was the time I didn't wish that didn't happen. But now thinking about it, I'm glad it did, even though I struggled mightily in Double A the next year. Well, let's I'm roll into that in.
1: 2009 season. Yeah. Then they they send you to Double A Tennessee. Shows a lot of confidence in you. But mm-hmm. I w- would you say fair enough that that is the low point of your minor league career? Yeah, and
0: just before I get into that, I think I need to hit on is what I need to hit on is after Peoria, I went to the instru- instructional league. So they invited me to the instructional league in Arizona after um, the low a season. And that is what I think gave them the confidence to skip me. I just, I was working on something kind of like my junior year of high school where something clicked, something clicked in instructional league. And I hit like 500 played center field with stealing bags, literally doing everything like five tool player, the best I ever felt best I ever played. And they saw that, and I, that's what ha- gave them the confidence to send me to double A next year and skip high A.
1: Did you feel that confidence in yourself when you got to Tennessee, though? Did you think you were going to be that guy from Instructs and just light the world on fire?
0: I did until I got to Tennessee and realized, because in spring training, you don't notice it as much. You get Then I got to double A my first year, and I realized just how much better quality the pitchers are, how able to, you know, they can spot it, they can throw any pitch for a strike. Um, the velos up, and so that confidence quickly w- uh, withered away. And man, there were times I think I hit 190 after 190 at bats. And in my head, I was just hope I was kind of waiting for them to send me down because towards the end, I was I wasn't playing a ton, and I was still kind. I was still young, and I'm like, this is weird. I'm not playing. I'm days I'm not playing. I'm the first base coach, kind of just hoping in my head that they're going to send me down I didn't ever say anything but eventually they made that decision and I'm man I'm so glad they did because I was able to go down to high A to Daytona and something um I changed weirdly enough I just spread out my legs and made like tried to make no movements in my swing and just doing that like before something clicked I went off, had a great um basically second half of the year down in high A. And then they called me up at the end of that and my confidence was back and I joined them in the playoffs in double A and did pretty well. And then the next year was good too. So yeah, it was uh it was a struggle.
1: I mean, your their next year, the twenty ten, it probably couldn't have gone any better. You hit three forty four, you swiped thirty bags, you made the Cubs top ten prospects after the year. Where are you, you know, mentally at? heading into that offseason after a year prior, you're, you're coaching first base in Tennessee, and then you, you set the Southern League on fire. At that point, what do you think your future looks like? What's your ETA?
0: Um, I I knew that the, the outfielders the Cubs had at the big league level that, you know, that the chances of me breaking with the team the next year are slim. You know, I was probably going to go to Iowa, AAA and obviously my confidence was all time high to have the year. I knew I could have that year and to actually have it. Um, and that off season I got put on the 40 man. So I had a great year at the right time, which is timing is huge in this game. Um, and not too long after that, I got the call that I was traded to the Rays. Um, that kind of came out of nowhere. I wasn't hearing any trade buzz. Um, and man, right when that happened, although the Rays were a good team, I knew that they didn't have Soriano and all these other players in the outfield. So I was like, man, I could actually break camp and start with them. Um, that's not how it went. I I went there and, um, broke camp went to Durham in 2011 and I got caught up about a month or so into this month or two into the season. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, that, that was a big surprise getting traded there. Um, but you're right. Like 2010, I had that season put on the 40 man, got traded that off season. I got married. Um, it was, it was all in all a great year. I went into the 2011 more confident than I've ever been.
1: And when you look at that trade in retrospect, it's a big trade. There's a lot of big leaguers in that trade. It's you, Chris Archer, uh, Robinson Torino, Sam Fold, and then uh, Hakju Lee, who had that that tough um, that tough injury in AAA and you're traded for Matt Garza. So it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely it speaks to the year you had when you're traded for a guy like Matt Garza, who had a had a really good big league career. But you kind of rolled right into your next year going to Durham. You play well in Durham and then that call up uh, walk. What is what's it like getting that first big league call up? And then what's it like with that first big league at bat?
0: Yeah, so the call up, r- although I was playing pretty good, the call up actually happened after an over.
1: If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just
0: another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at
1: joinmidi.com.
0: It was a horrible night. I, I don't even remember. A lot of strikeouts and not good. So when I got called into the office after the game, I, uh, I thought maybe they just wanted to talk to me about my approach or... Um, You know, I didn't play good defense that game either. My mind wasn't there for whatever reason, just a bad game. And that's when Charlie Montolio, my coach in Durham, the manager there was like, no, you're getting called up. And I was, I almost fell on the floor. I was so shocked um, just because of the game I just had, although I was having a pretty good season, that moment, my mindset was not thinking, oh, I'm going to the big league. So when he told me that, um, obviously is, that's what you live for. That's what you dream for to get to the big league. So initially just called my wife, called my dad, my family, my friends. Um, and then the cherry on top was, you know, it was at Camden Yards in Baltimore, um, the closest stadium to where, you know, my family lived in Maryland and in Northern Virginia. So, you know, I got to make my debut. They told me Zach Britton would be pitching the next night. So I'd be playing, you know, it was a lefty starter. And, um, you couldn't, you couldn't draw it up, draw it up any better. I, uh, packed my bags that night, went to, uh, airport early in the morning, got to Baltimore. Um, and then, yeah, there were nerves unlike any other, um, the fact that, you know, it, it was cool that I was going to get to, uh, have all my family and friends there, but, in a way, I'm like, oh, my God, first major league game, they're all here in person, like, so many nerves and different feelings going on. Um, and then, yeah, that first at-bat, obviously something I'll never forget. Um, I get get into a 3-1 count against Zach Britton, and this is when he was a starter for the Orioles, and um, got a low pitch, basically golfed it. It probably would have been ball four, and, and uh, hit it into the stands in left field, and I just, I remember so good just running the bases that thinking I was literally in a dream, telling myself, dude, snap out of it, make sure you touch the bases so it actually counts. Um, and then, you know, I get home, and touch the plate, I get to look up, my family and friends are there. At that, we can get into this later, but I didn't know my wife wasn't there at the time, but uh, we can talk about that in a second. But I get into the uh, dugout they're giving you know i see it all the time on tv like oh they're big league in him they're sitting down acting like you didn't do anything and then it was happening to me i'm like you got this is crazy um and then they all like jumped on me celebrated but whoo what a day what a crazy uh crazy cool memory to always have and you know the next two at bats i ended up striking out and i actually got sent down the next day um because they needed a relief pitcher and i think it was already a plan going into it that that was going to be the case but it it all came together perfectly just to be able to have my debut at a stadium I grew up going to all my family and friends could be there like I said my wife she was actually the sports anchor and reporter for Fox in DC so she had a six o'clock show and she ended up being in the parking lot she hit traffic and she was in the parking lot when I hit my home run. So she actually didn't see it. Obviously she's seen replays, but uh, she just heard it on the radio.
1: Um, but at least she got to hear it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She got to hear it. She said she was going crazy in the car. So yeah. Um, all of the, all of the struggles, all the downtime injuries, adversity, failure leading up to that point, man, it made it all worth it. And it, you know, although in my head I was like, "This is just the beginning," but to actually solidify myself and hit a home run in the big leagues, you know, from there on out, I was like, "Man, I'm here to stay. I'm, I'm going to do damage." So that that was kind of the thoughts um, right away after that.
1: So the next few years, you're you're kind of doing a shuffle. In 2012, you're you're banged up. 2013, you spend it all in Durham. 2014, you're finally mostly in Tampa. What are you doing like day to day? What's the game plan in your mind? How do you keep yourself in the big leagues? Because a lot of it's out of your call, but obviously you want to be putting your best foot forward. How do you, you know, kind of grapple with that, especially when you're stuck down in AAA trying to get back?
0: Yeah. So, like I just said, I, after that home run, I, in my head, I'm like, I'm I'm ready. I hit a home run in the big leagues. I'm ready to be here, stay, and do damage. That, (laughs) it couldn't be further from the truth. I didn't realize all the rules like you're on the 40 man, but you have options so you can get sent up and down. You know, I was a yo-yo for a while there and um yeah, 12, I hurt my shoulder again and it was like the third or fourth time I dislocated it and I ended up having season ending surgery. Um, but even before that, I was up and down playing. Okay. Um, and so until 14, until I was out of options. Yeah. I just, Day-to-day, I was like, oh, if I do – it made it not as exciting. Um, You know, you get called up and you're like, "Uh, well, I might get sent back down. Um, So this just could be quick. So, you know, those kind of thoughts go through your head, even though obviously you're still – you're in the big leagues and you don't know what could happen. But, yeah, I went from, like, that highlight of a first home run, first at-bat, to being a yo-yo that season, hurt season in the shoulder surgery in 2012. Um, and then back in the minors in 13, coming back from that shoulder surgery, um, and then I broke my finger down there. So yeah, it was, uh, it was not the road I imagined after hitting a home run in my first career at bat. I thought, it was, you know, you think all these things of how things are going to go, but you, you know, you can't plan that stuff out. Things are going to happen the way they're, they're meant to. And, you know, that's kind of what happened.
1: When did you finally feel like a big leaguer there to stay because at at a certain point you had conquered double a triple a you were you know anytime you were down there you were playing well when did you you spent 2014 and 2015 and then pretty much the rest of your career for the most part in the big leagues how long does it take to actually feel like a big leaguer who's not in danger of being called into the manager's office every day
0: that's a good question um definitely that first year in 2014, I I was out of options. Um, it did not at least initially feel like I was a big leaguer. Um, first off, I wasn't playing much and I I was, um, I, I was not comfortable up there. I, um, you know, you have to learn a new routine. Uh, you go out there, you, you all of a sudden playing with Derek Jeter, big poppy, Alex Rodriguez, all these guys that you saw on TV. And I just kind of, my mind was not in a good place. Um, you know, I'm used to playing every day, my whole career. And then I get to the big, big leagues and, you know, pretty much from the jump, I was a platoon player, um, unless there were injuries and whatnot. So that was a big adjustment, but, it was more so the mental grind that I, that I went through. Um, you know, at, at times I, in my head, I wanted to, I hoped to get sent down cause I was so uncomfortable. Um, you know, when I'd be at the field, I'd get my work in and stuff and kind of go sit at my locker and kind of be quiet and, and not do much, you know, that's being unsure of yourself and not having confidence, especially at the big league level. It it's it's gonna be hard to ever have success.
1: Was there anyone you could lean on or ask for advice? Because a lot of the times you hear about young players, you know, veterans taking them under their, you know, under their wing. But a lot of the times those big time veterans, like I am sure I think Evelyn Gorey was on those Tampa Bay teams. Evelyn Gorey didn't know what it's like to not play every day. Was there anyone you could mm-hmm. lean on who who understood kind of what you were going through?
0: Yeah. So the three I might be missing someone but the people that jump out to me at first are uh by far number 1 David DeHazes. Uh he's he, he was an outfielder so that helped but he was just tremendous helping me feel comfortable, you know, telling me how, you know, the feelings I'm feeling are normal and you'll get over it. Um also Grant Balfour and Heath Bell. They even though they're pitchers they they weren't like um not all veterans are like this, but some, at least that first year, you know, they um they almost don't care for for the rookie guys. I don't know if don't care is the right word, but they don't um put much attention to you. You haven't proven every anything, kinda gotta um do something before they respect you in a way. Um but but Grant Balfour and Heath Bell, man they were so nice to me. And, you know, like them being relievers, I, I remember certain games he felt would talk to me on the bench cause I wasn't playing that day and just you know, ask me how I'm doing. Um, just, just to be able to talk and, and, um, talk with someone who's been there for a long time and just get advice from them. Um, so those three guys come to mind and then, you know, Ken Revisa, uh, you know, a great sports psychologist was able to work with him there. Um, so those are the people that, and obviously family and friends, talking to them, but more so those were the people because they could relate. They knew what it what I was going through. And man, if it wasn't, if I didn't have a support system like those, those guys, I, I don't think I would have made it that year. And I don't think I would have had the career I had for
1: sure. Well, one of the things you did on the field to stay up in the big leagues was subject yourself to a lot of pain. Uh, per Wikipedia, which everyone knows is always accurate, your nickname <laughs> is La Pinata. Uh, the MLB single game record for being hit by pitches is three, and you've been the recipient of the last two occurrences. In 2015, you led the AL in hit-by-pitches with 24. In 2016, you led the entire MLB in hit-by-pitches with by getting hit 31 times in 101 games. And for frame of reference, Craig Biggio, who's the all time hit by pitch King, the most he ever got hit in a season was 34 times and it took him all 162 games to do it. So how can you explain your propensity for, for getting drilled and getting on base?
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you brought up those, uh, that game getting hit three times and <laughs> luckily one of those was against Mark Burley. Uh, and he wasn't, yeah, you know, I, I think most of them are like 82 or 83 miles an hour. So those are actually, uh, you know, I'll take that all day because it didn't really If hurt I had to I pick on. a
1: big league pitcher to get hit by, it'd probably it'd be Mark Burley or Jamie <laughs> Moyer.
0: Yeah. It, uh, so I got gallon base three times and it wasn't too painful, even though at that speed, if they hit the right, the wrong spot, it, it will hurt. But luckily I think those are like in the thigh or something. So it didn't hurt at all. Um, but, Why it happened so much, Um, obviously I've gotten asked this a lot and I feel like a uh, recorder uh, kind of saying it, repeat myself saying it a lot, but now that I'm done playing, I'm more uh, willing to talk about it and go more in depth, but the main reasons are, um, you know, I faced a lot, a lot of lefty pitchers, a lot of those pitchers tried to throw inside. I, as my career went on, I got in a bad habit and I closed off my my stance when I, or closed off when I um, strided and my front foot came close to the chalk or on the chalk sometimes, even though I wasn't necessarily on top of the dish. I was normal distance away, but I, I closed myself off. And that, so you take those two things. And then I, for whatever reason, throughout my career, college, high school, forever. I just freeze. Um, just how I'm wired, you know, you just, you can't really teach it. You just, I would just freeze. And honestly, I never once in my life went to the plate looking to get hit. And a lot of times it was so frustrating, especially if, you know, I'm in a three, one count, three, Oh count ready. You know, it's different if I'm in a Oh two, one, two count against a tough pitcher in those situations, you get hit, you're like, ooh, okay, nice. That, that dude might have just struck me out. Or if it's a really dirty guy, you're like, man, there's probably no way I'm getting the hit off this guy. Um, but, yeah, those are the three three reasons. You combine those is, you know, I don't think that would – did I ever think it would lead to what this reporter told me the other day, all-time hit by pitch per plate appearance. I'm number one in history. Did I ever think – that would happen. Did I set out for that to happen? No way. Um, those are the, when you get a stat like that and you're an all-time leader, that's something you usually work for. Um, and you put time into it and think about it a lot, put it into the, out to the universe. And I never did that, honestly. So,
1: I mean, you probably put ice bags into that. You put some work into that, getting those, <laughs> those wins. Are there any hit by pitches you wish you could take back anything, any time that it just, it stung way too much?
0: Yeah, usually the times where, so one time Charlie Morton, when he was with Pittsburgh, he hit me in my bicep, my right bicep. And it was like one of those pitches that came inside and I was kind of swinging at it. So I was like swinging into it. Like, so it's not like I, you know, other times I get hit, I can like kind of roll with it. And, you know, a certain technique where you roll with it or catch it a certain way and it doesn't hurt as much but this one I was like swinging into it so like my momentum going into the ball that was brutal and the the bruise my whole arm was like black and blue um and then I had a couple on the ankle and like the knee and the shin that um, weren't great but man one one thing I prided myself on it was both a pride thing and also just uncomfortable uh I didn't re- I didn't wear um protective equipment whether it was an elbow guard shin guard wrist guard anything it was just you know I felt when i was up at the plate i almost felt them on me and i sometimes would think about that and being uncomfortable while hitting and i just didn't like it so i didn't wear any protective equipment and at the same time like i'm grateful man i of all the times i got hit by a pitch and never once did i miss a game break a bone anything um so yeah i i'm kind of more proud of that than actually the uh the record that i have
1: well, around the same time that you were just getting hit more than anyone in history and kind of establishing establishing yourself as a major leaguer, you also become a parent. What is the experience of parenting while working a job that keeps you away for for long stretches of time? How does it it change the way you you know are able to approach your job on and off the field?
0: Yeah, man, it changed everything. Uh, up until that point, um, my wife and I basically had a long distance relationship and she would come down when she could get off of work and, you know, she was busy working and whatnot. So I didn't see her all the time. Uh, but we had always talked when we eventually have a family, start a family that sh- she's going to come live with me. In the, in the, um at that point, it was our daughter, Riley, when she was born, they, that was the first time that I had my wife with me during the season. And then obviously my daughter was there with me. Um, but yeah, that was, man, it, it changed everything. But, more so, more so than anything, it was my mindset. Like in a way, obviously, you know, I had a wife before, wanted to play and give us a good life. But then I, once I had that kid, it was something even stronger went off in my mind. Like, okay, I need to put food on the table. I need to really do everything I can to, you know, I I wanted to have success at the big league level and stay there. But another part of it was I wanted to have success so that I could provide for them, um, that I could take care of them, make sure she was taken care of. And then, you know, my other, my sons after that were taken care of. Um, so that, that mostly, that that's really how it changed. And then the other thing that changed is after a rough game, um, being able to walk down the hallway and have her run to me and being able to like, that took away, all the emotions that I had in the game and you just forget about that, that over for four or, you know, whatever you're going through. Um, so in a way, you know, having her that year really kind of changed everything and changed my mindset for the better. I'm almost getting like choking up <laughs> thinking about it, but. Yeah. Um, you're
1: getting, you're getting me with this. I've got a, I've got a yeah. six year old. So, um, yeah. Let's, uh, I want to talk about 2016 because you become, you know, you're, part of one of those classic deadline deals of a team, just picking up a useful, pay, uh, useful piece trying to get to the world series. And then mm-hmm. that actually, that actually happens. Um, how do you go about asserting yourself in a clubhouse mid season when you go from a last place team to a team with world series aspirations? How do you kind of integrate yourself into that, into that clubhouse chemistry?
0: Yeah. Going into it, I did not know how to go about that. Obviously going from a team out of the playoff to a team right in the pennant race. Um, and, and also when I got traded, I was in a slump. I was 0 for my last 14 or something. Not great. So yeah, I was already not in a good uh, headspace because I was struggling um, and not really having great at bat. So Did not see that trade coming, kind of like in 2010. I did not think I was going to get traded, and this happened. And um, I went there, and I know I've said it probably three times already. I changed something in my swing, and something clicked. And, you know, that's kind of a theme. Like, it's almost like it it just happened for a reason. Um, I got there, worked with the hitting coaches, um, you know, mostly played against last season man, something happened in my swing. It just clicked. I found it again, found what I had earlier in that season in 2016 and, and brought it back. And, but still mentally, it was a challenge because I had never really played for um, a team in the playoff race. And, you know, the, the crowds at Cleveland every day, cause you're in the thick of a playoff race um, that was all new to me, to be honest. And um, that was, that was a challenge. I that's when I really try to um, take my mental game to another level because I knew I had to. Because you know the stress of a new team, new players get to know them. You know, moving my family from Tampa to Cleveland. Um, so I, I that's when I really got into meditation. Really learn more breathing techniques. I had already been doing that a little, but I took that to another level. And man, I. Um, for sure those two things helped me out so much because it, it was it was a challenge at, at first for sure.
1: was there anything from your days at UVA that you were able to use as kind of a callback because I, I would imagine in 2007 was the last time you had really been playing in highly competitive games that you really really care about winning. I think one of the things about the minor leagues is it is focused on development, not winning um, obviously you know a few of those Tampa Bay teams you were on not very competitive. Was that, was the, your tenure at UVA, was that so far, you know, had that been so long since you played that it didn't really matter? was that something that you were able to take with you into the playoff race?
0: You know, i never thought about that. Um, at that point, it was probably close to 10 years, um, since UVA. I, I think there was ob- definitely a little of that in me. Um, fortunately, you know, the minors is a little different, Um, but every year with Durham, we were uh, in the playoffs and we went to the national championship, AAA. Uh, In 2011, actually, my first year with Tampa got to be a part of, I think this is what helped me the most, got to be a part of one of the craziest um, games in the history, one of the craziest days in the history of baseball, game 162, like the Red Sox just lost to the Orioles and 10 minutes later, Longo hits a home run to send us to the playoffs. And
1: I remember I got
0: into that. We were playing the Yankees. Um, and at that point, whoever won us or the Red Sox were going to the playoffs. And I remember, man, that the uh, trop, tropicana field was so packed and crazy. Um, I didn't start that game and that was the first I really had that. Atmosphere. And I went in later in the game. I think it was, it was an extra inning game. So I played a good bit. Um, and standing in the outfield and just the noise, the, just the playoff feel, I think more than anything, that came over with me, um, to Cleveland. And that being said, it was still also new to me in 2011. That game 162 I was a part of, but I didn't make the playoff roster. So I didn't actually get to experience the playoffs at the big league level then. So 2016 was actually my first time, and who that was uh, It's just it takes um, the big league level and the excitement and the atmosphere to the, the way take it to way about the next level when you get to the playoffs. Just the media attention, the crowd noise, literally the whole game, uh, towels waving, each play each hit each run counting for so much man i didn't know but one thing that i've said it earlier breathing breathing i had a wristband that said breathe on it being utilizing my breath during that if if i didn't have that i don't know how i would have you know calmed down lowered my heart rate because man there was so much nerves and excitement and uh, that was my first time really feeling that in the big league level in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, that's
1: kind of how it was. Well, that team, you guys made it to the World Series. Is playing in the World Series, is that something that you just kind of have to breathe through and try to shut out the distractions? Or are you trying to soak that all in, you know, taking the moment and the magnitude of it? How? What's the mental approach to going about your business in a World Series?
0: Yeah, um, the breathing, again, was huge. Um, yeah, I almost wish that I could say it was... I had the young and dumb, but I, that wasn't there anymore. I was well aware of what was going on and man, it was the atmosphere in Cleveland, but especially at Wrigley field, you know, I remember before games there, there were people outside, you know, we could go outside the clubhouse there and you could see like people walking outside. Like someone was walking a goat outside and just, you see weird things. You're like, dude, and the history behind that game. And, being able to you know it came full circle, I was drafted by the Cubs, I played for Joe Madden, and then there I am. I get traded to the Indians, and I'm playing against the Cubs and Joe Madden in the World Series, so man, so many things were going through my head, but yeah, breathing was probably the number one thing um really focused I was visualization was huge for me um before every game in the clubhouse before I went to bed that night. I watched video on pitchers. Uh, obviously, if I was facing Lester or Chapman or you know Mike Montgomery, uh, other lefties that the Cubs had, I was just visualizing, putting myself in that moment, just because I, I knew the magnitude of the event that if I wasn't gonna, if I didn't do that when I actually got into that at bat or into the outfield. The moment would get too big for me. So I wanted to think about it in my head and put myself there so much that when it actually happened, it felt like it had already happened before. And that was probably the number one thing that helped me the most uh, through the World Series.
1: Well, I I remember watching. It was incredible World Series, uh, incredible display for the city of Cleveland. Uh, you play a couple more years with the Indians. After 2018, you hit free agency for the first time. You just finished your age 32 season. What's... You know what's your priority in free agency at that point? What are you hoping for? Had you already started thinking about post career plans? What you're doing with fully equipped athlete now? What's you know what is it like hitting free agency on the other side of thirty?
0: Yeah, so you know I I said earlier timing is everything. Um, timing wasn't good that year. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't going into my free agent year. Um, I didn't have a great year. The the Indians. I had an option left on my contract. They didn't pick it up just because 2017 and 18, I didn't as good a year as I had in 16, 17 and 18 were about the opposite. I, you know, unfortunately I had a pretty serious left wrist surgery. Um, Then I had some other injuries, Um, no excuses. I I just, yeah, I didn't play good and I didn't set myself up good for free agency. Um, With that being said, Um, I still played in 2018 good against lefties. And so I thought that that would for sure, at least get me a big league job, but the landscape in the free agent market had changed so much by then that, you know, there honestly wasn't a ton of interest and we waited out long trying to get uh, a big league offer, but from multiple teams, we had a lot of interest, but all at a minor league deal, like invite to spring training and my agent the whole time is saying, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, you know, five years ago, what you do hitting lefties, a hundred percent, you're getting a, a major league job guaranteed, but you know, it's changed so much that that, especially the, old, you know, when you're in your thirties, not coming off a great year, it's hard to get that um, guaranteed job. And that's kind of where, where I found myself and I ended up signing with the white Sox, and I thought it was the best opportunity that I had. And man, I, my very first, I went in spring training feeling amazing and my very first infield outfield throwing it home, something happened into my elbow. I felt, you know, I didn't feel it snap or pop, but I, I felt like, man, it's not good. Um, so I missed the next two weeks of spring training and I tried to kind of play through it and just show them that I'm good, but it was not good at all. And they could tell. They ended up sending me to AAA. Um I played there for a couple weeks, and then literally a throw home blew out my elbow just because never really let it heal. Um, and yeah, that was a missed missed that whole year. So that would have been last year, and then obviously a free agent again coming into this off season and. Coming off, you know, being 33 and missing the previous year, not a lot of interest. My only interest was minor league invite to spring training for the Giants and not even big league spring training. Literally, I was just, I was with all the minor leaguers at spring training and um, I felt good. I went in there, I played pretty good. They called me up for some games, I played good. Elbow was all better, body felt good. Um, but then COVID hit and they they let me go a couple weeks after that when I was already back home. But in my head, you know, going into spring training I told myself if I didn't make the big league team, um, I was fine with it and ready to you know, I didn't want to go to Sacramento and be away from my family, cross country. I was ready for the next chapter. And with the second spring training that just happened, uh there was some interest from teams, but in my head to play and i had already had fully equipped athlete just about to launch and really passionate about my next chapter i almost needed a guaranteed big league job and with that i wasn't even sure being away from family potentially getting sick with covid so um yeah i told them uh you know no thank you and you know it made my decision that much easier um and that's where we are now.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, you made the decision, you, you announced the retirement. It wasn't, you know, so you're a hundred percent, you're done, done. I've, I've got yeah. to ask.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. A hundred percent, man. Um, hey man, I'm so fortunate and grateful for the career I had. I yeah, I've said it before. Like I want Obviously I wish I had, you know, my goal was 20 years play as long as I can and be an all-star every year. I didn't get those. I didn't make those goals, but,
1: to be fair, that's tough.
0: It is, I know, and but that's what I set out to do. You know, was it the smartest goal? Was it the you know uh, realistic to reach that? Probably not, but I shot for that. You know, I got seven years. I really, I'm proud of the career I had. Um, I only because I left it all out there and I did everything I possibly could to make the most of my talent. So I can I can sleep at night, great, just knowing that I gave my all. That I literally put. Everything into it, not just playing the game hard. I'm talking about off season training, working my mind, my nutrition, my lifestyle, every single facet of who I am, I tried to make the most of. And that equaled seven years in the career I had. And I'm fine with that.
1: If you could go back and talk to yourself coming out of UVA or a player now like yourself, you know, a, a mid round pick, uh, what kind of advice would you give? you know, in in retrospect to, to better navigate the professional, uh, baseball lifestyle?
0: It's a great question. Um, I think the main thing I would say is expect that you're going to go through tough times that you're going to fail. Um, and if you're super passionate about it, if you really love the game, Leave it all out there. Put everything you can into it. Don't let anything happen by chance. And at your worst time, time where you're the lowest, rock bottom. I was there in, in Tennessee in AA when I got sent down to high A thinking that my career was done and I wasn't going to make it. Know that you're probably going to have those moments. You know, Very few just have success all the time and reach the big leagues. To that player, just know that you're going to have that. And if you can already go into it, knowing that when you face those moments, you can be like, okay, this is, this is normal. This is to be expected. Now I work and I learn and I grow to, to get out of it and it'll make me better, um, because I went through it. So that's probably the number one thing I'd, uh, I would say.
1: Well, Brandon, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the farm. Tell the folks again where they can find you on social media and where they can check out fully equipped athlete.
0: Yeah. So fully equipped athlete.com is the website. Um, I'm on YouTube, all the Instagram, Facebook, just at Fully Equipped Athlete. And um, I do webinars. I have an ebook, book and um, one-on-one sessions. So that's where it's at right now. I look forward to it growing and, and honestly just helping as many athletes as I can reach their full potential.
1: Well, Brandon, thanks again for taking the time. Good luck in retirement, man. Enjoy it. Thanks, man. Best to you as well. Have a good one. And that's it for this episode of From Phenom to the Farm. As always, episodes come out every two weeks on Tuesdays, so be tuned for the next one with former right-hand pitcher in the Mariners and Diamondback system, Brett Lauren, a uh, right-hander out of Long Beach State. Big thanks to Brandon Geyer for taking the time today. Make sure to go check out his website, Fully Equipped Athlete, if that's something you might be in the market for. Uh, That link will be in the show notes. And as always, subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all the best in prospect and amateur baseball coverage. Until then, we will catch you in two weeks with Brett Lorne. Thanks for listening.